I did the first round of the company. My, my now co-founder had a better vision than I did. And so I sort of got out of the way and let him run things. And then someone that we had hired a couple of years later had a better vision than both of us. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? In today's episode, I have a, a good friend of the pod, Tommy Griffithon. He is the CEO of ClickMinded. He has a very impressive company. They do 2.3 million in sales selling templates for agencies. But here's why it's impressive. He does it with just four employees. He does it with one meeting a week for 30 minutes. And he does it fully remote. This is a guy who used to be head of SEO at Airbnb. He read the four-hour work week and he started his own thing. So in today's episode, we talk about how he was able to find a co-founder and then a new CEO to run the company. Uh, we talk about this blog post he just uh, wrote that is really talking about the, some things to demystify how you should run a company. Um, it's really fun. It's a winding road of conversations. But if you're really looking to do something different and think differently with how you run a company, this is absolutely a must listen. In fact, this episode was so good, we had to break it up into two parts. So here is part one with Tommy Griffith. All right. Today on the podcast, we have, I won't say my favorite guest, but this person is now in the three-timer club. It's Tommy Griffith. He was on episode number two, which I know everyone remembers, where that was a very fun one, giving the story of click-minded in his past life as far as running SEO at Airbnb. He was on episode 60, where we talk about personal finance as a founder, and we have some strong opinions in that one. Tommy recently wrote a blog post. He likes to go down this tangent every few years where he goes very deep and tells us about what he's doing at his company. It's called Relentless Simplicity, where he basically contradicts everything he said before, but he's very open. <laughs> talks about his business. He's you've like, dude, you've literally more than like tripled the business to 2.3 million, which is insane. Tommy, thank you for finally coming back on. I send you, I think, an email every month. Like, will you please come back on? So pumped to, to chat. <laughs> Yeah, Jim, thanks for, for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, first, like introduce yourself just so people have context. Like, wait, who is Tommy? What what do you do? Yeah, so my name is Tommy Griffith. I run a digital marketing documentation and online course company called ClickMinded. That started off as a side project about 10 years ago. I was teaching search engine optimization classes on the weekends in co-working spaces in San Francisco. It turned into an online course for a few years, and then it turned into a suite of online courses for a few years. And now we mostly work on writing really comprehensive SOPs, checklists, and templates for marketers and marketing teams. My summary of it is Tommy was running SEO for Airbnb, read the four-hour work week and was like, F it, I'm out of here. Traveled the world. He's super humble, but he, I wish you were more active on Instagram because I know you'd be in hammocks across <laughs> the world running this company. But I really respect what Tommy's done because 
you, you first you built essentially before like being a solo founder was cool. You built this like very big six figure solo business yourself, but then you started to go down this path of, of scaling it. You've, you hired two key people that allowed you to double and triple revenue. And now you've literally gone from like under 1 million to over 2.3 by doing something that I love, which is not sexy work that is just making a killing. SOPs for agencies. We use it because we're like, oh crap, what do we do for GA4? I'm like, oh, click on it'll have what we need to help with that migration. I like my description of you better. Is that okay? Yeah, let's go with, with your description. I like that better too. Uh, anything anything involving spirit animals, I think is a better description. That's absolutely that for me. <laughs> that, that was the goal. So Tommy wrote this post called Relentless Simplicity, really talking about making a big pivot in your company that was not your idea. And it was not your co-founder's idea. It was someone else who you met on Upwork who is now your CEO. But before we even get into that, like you and I... <laughs> kind of both do this like build in public thing where we're like, you know what, let's just share it with the world. I, I like doing it one, because that's how I learned from other people, but two, selfishly, it's a great marketing tactic where people can really like get to know you and feel like they're a part of the company. But like whenever you write this and you hit publish, like what is that feeling when you like put your numbers out there and you're exposed? Yeah. I mean, my I think my style of doing this stuff and your style are, are a little bit different. I, I kind of like your style better. I like following you and seeing what you tweet out and what you write about and all that. And you're more frequent about it and you're kind of funnier about it. I write like one monster post every like two or three years. And I think for me, it's like, it's more of a like, therapy. Like I should probably just get a therapist instead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like probably like more convenient and cheaper to do that. But instead I like build it up and then it's just my, my coping mechanism for not, not getting a therapist. But, uh, the trend has been that I've always had a side project for the last 10 years. I've worked on that side project and then like funny things happen or interesting things happen. And then I just write about it. And people seem to like it. The very first one was a long time ago when I just like, I did a deal with AppSumo and it just kind of blew my mind. Like that was when internet marketing finally hit me. It's like AppSumo can send out one email to their users. And all of a sudden they have a thousand new customers in a couple of hours. Right. And like, so I just wrote this post, like this would have been back in maybe 2014. As I said, like, here's all the numbers. Here's what AppSumo took from a revenue share. Here's how many customers we added. Here's like... What we were going to upsell to them. And people loved it. And then I wrote a similar one about how my side project had eclipsed my salary at Airbnb and just like laid out the numbers and like, what's the trade-off? And then the next one was like how I left Airbnb to go full-time on it. And I brought on a co-founder and laid out all the revenue numbers. And then this one is the latest installment, I guess, which is like my co-founder and I kind of hit a ceiling. We had an employee that was been working for us for a few years and was basically screaming at the top of his lungs for us to change our strategy. We said no for multiple years. We wanted to stick to our plan. And then when we finally gave in and did his thing, it was like a massive success. We got out of the way, we made him the CEO and, and everything took off from there. So that was kind of the, the journey was like just these very kind of personal sort of open kimono posts where I just lay out all the numbers and my reasoning for it and and what happened. And it, 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 it seems to resonate with people, especially kind of the entrepreneurial scene. 
Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it reading from you and from other people. And you kind of have to do the numbers because if you don't do the numbers, you're like, oh, we grew by 30%. And then you move on. It's like, okay, I don't really understand it. But whenever you can actually learn and see the numbers, see the growth, it, it just gives so much more color to it. And I, if you're going to do it, it's like, go all in. I believe a quote from Tommy is don't half asset, full asset or whatever you say. So <laughs> no, I, I love it. And so I don't know, but whenever I publish mine, I hit publish and then I'm usually like, oh crap, immediate regret. And you want to delete it, but then you're like, oh, well, it's already out there. And then right. also at the end of the day, it, sure. none of this matters. So it's like, whatever. So <laughs> let, let's talk about these inflection points. So one thing that I think is interesting, you've been really good at two things, finding amazing talent in unassuming places where people don't normally go. And then two, empowering them to do good things. And you're down to give up your company as far as equity, you're down to give up a title. And so I want to hit on this, like talk through like working with Andre and like the signals that like one, this guy is strong. And then two, you changed your mind on how the business should go. Like that, that's hard because there's a lot of ego with the business and a company. CEOs are supposed to be visionaries and lead the vision. But you're like, no, I'm going to, do what this person I found on Upwork said we should do. Like kind of walk through that for people because I think it's really hard. People put a lot of pressure on themselves to be this rainmaker of ideas. Yeah, when you say it like that, it's really funny. I mean, Andre Andre and I are so close now and we've been working together for so long, but you're right. At the end of the day, he's a guy from Upwork that we made the CEO, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very punchy, you know, that's, that, that's a very clickbaity tweet that'll probably work. Maybe I'll have to throw that in there somewhere. Tag that, somewhere. tag that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny now, Jim, because now it's happened twice where I did the first round of the company. My my now co-founder had a better vision than I did. And so I sort of got out of the way and let him run things. And then someone that we had hired a couple of years later had a better vision than both of us. And we both kind of kind of got out of the way. And so it's now happened twice. And it's interesting because you're right. Like, if you're thinking about it theoretically, it's easy to say, oh, if you're a founder, you know, of course your ego is going to be a little bit tied up into this. And of course you're going to be like more biased to your own decisions. And you kind of understand if, if a CEO or a founder or whatever is more adamant about their vision. But I actually would argue the opposite, or at least recommend anyone listening to strongly consider the opposite, because I had the 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 exact opposite experience, which is like, the coolest thing in the world is building something that someone else cares about. And in my case, cares about probably more than me. I mean, the, the members of the team now, like, you know, I wrote the first 50 or 100 blog posts. I wrote the first couple SOPs. I did the first couple of years on my own. But now some of the people on the team have done way more than me contributed way more to kind of the brand and the identity and the content and acquired more customers than me. And they, they're they kind of more invested than me. And it's like the coolest thing in the world, in my opinion, to, to create something out of nothing and have someone else like carry it on for you. That to me is infinitely more cool than deciding the next chapter of things. You know what I mean? Because they can put their own spin on it and they and they give their own kind of meaning to it and that kind of stuff. So I would actually argue that, that it's a lot easier than trying to hold the vision the entire time and, and a lot more fun too. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent? 
but you have issues finding good people. Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. That's the best thing is like you bring in people, you're aligned on the same values and then they have ideas you didn't think of. And then when you put them into action, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to get out of your way. Because as a founder, as a business owner, there's so much pressure and weight you have at all times. And when someone comes in and is like, oh, let me take that dumbbell off your shoulder and like, oh, by the way, we don't even need that. And they take it to the next level. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so much more fun. And just, it shows you have that growth mindset too, to always be evolving and changing. But like talk, like I actually want to get into the weeds because I think it's helpful for people to hear how you saw signals on like why you should change. And then when you made that pivot, because like for people to know, like you're doing courses, it was doing well. And then you all kind of automate it and it's going very well to seven figures. Sounds like there's a plateau, but then you pivot to SOPs, like get into the details of like the signals. And then like when you made that hard move to pivot, or maybe it wasn't a hard move to pivot. And it was an experiment that just kind of snowballed. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I guess part of writing this post is trying to figure it out myself. So, so I might, my opinions might change on this over the next days and weeks, and maybe I'll, maybe someone else will read it and and spot something I didn't spot. But the basic idea was we had one online course, we expanded to seven online courses, one of which was yours. You teach, as you know, one of the one of the courses at ClickMind, our sales funnel course. Sign up today. Sign up today. Referral code. Use my <laughs> referral code. Right, right. Use Jim's <laughs> referral code. As part of that process, we, we basically went in and we said, we're going to be a digital marketing general assembly, or we're going to be a dig- an online equivalent of a digital marketing graduate degree, or we're going to be one of these kind of like Code Academy, Coursera sort of competitors, LinkedIn Learning, Linda, one of these guys. This would have been back in 2017. As we were creating these courses, one of the pieces of feedback we kept getting from users was like, this is great, but it's still not clear to me how to get started. And so one of the things we said was, okay, you know what? Why don't we give a bunch of these users some of our SOPs? We had already created SOPs for ourselves. We were using them in Google Drive for our own team. And we kind of surveyed our users and said like, hey, if we open this up to you guys, would you use it? And they said, yes, absolutely. We ended up making it kind of a side piece product, right? So our core offering were these courses and we used the SOP access to our SOP library as like a sweetener, as like a bonus. So we would say, hey, enroll in this course and you'll get access to this this thing for a limited amount of time or buy all these courses and you'll get access. And it was kind of this like, let's see if this pushes users across the, the finish line kind of thing. 
what happened and the, the in hindsight the massive mistake we made was there were multiple signals of people screaming as loud as they can that they the thing they wanted was the bonus content not the actual content it was things like you know one of the default offerings we had was like three months access to the SOP library. And like when people's three month access ran out, they didn't realize that at the time. And they like lost their minds that they had <laughs> lost access. Right. Or, you know, finding our contact form, calling us, texting us, being like, how do I buy this? Right. People sharing logins, like breaking our terms of service and like letting, you know, 10 or 20 people into the account and like, like breaking the terms, people emailing saying, you know, how do I get my team of 50 on here? And so they're just like, people were going out of their way to like, tell us they wanted to sign up. And we were like, annoyed by it. We were, <laughs> we were like, you know, hey, we're working on courses over here. And we were like, it was, in, in hindsight, it was just incredibly arrogant, incredibly navel gazy. What do they call it now? Main character syndrome, right? Like, like yeah. we had this vision that we were, we were an ed tech company and we had this like very, straightforward path. And the thing that made it hard to pivot was that it was working. The company was growing. We were yeah. doing like, we were, we were very proud of what we were doing. And we thought we had the best, you know, digital marketing courses in the world. And we wanted to keep our foot on the gas on that, which is like pretty reasonable. I think the other big factor around this was, and a lot of people have this problem was sunk cost fallacy. Oh, you know, we yeah. spent we like, and this is so hard to, to, to get around in a lot of different industries, not just entrepreneurship, but, but so many things it could be, you know, finances, wall street, dating, health, like some cost fallacy drives a lot of problems. Right. And so we had just spent, you know, we found, went and found seven different instructors for courses. We had 85 hours of HD video. We had created this massive email marketing funnel, all these things. And intermittently getting emails from users saying like, I just want the SOPs. I don't want the courses. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I have to ignore this because I'll go insane if we wasted all this time on, on, on courses. Right. So we just had this sort of issue where if the core thing we had been doing had failed, maybe it would have been easier to pivot, but it was sort of growing at like, you know, 20 to 30% and, and was worth sort of continuing to work on in our heads. And it made it easier to ignore this other opportunity. The other giant mistake I made was just straight up not listening to someone who had done this before. So Andre, like I mentioned, he was a freelancer that we found on Upwork, which is like a freelance marketplace. And there's this really simple, but great tweet a couple of years ago from this guy, the guy who ran that design agency, Tiny, Andrew. Oh, Wilkinson. Andrew Wilkinson. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love this guy. And he tweeted out something. And it was so simple. It was just like, I can't believe it took me this long to figure it out. But whenever you're hiring, here's how to, here's how to do it. Step one, figure out what you want the person to do. Step two, make sure they've done that before. <laughs> and like that was it right and it was just like there's no way it's that simple right mm -hmm. but that's exactly what happened with andre he had been working at a european tech company he they, they had almost no paid advertising presence and he turned them into a seven-figure company almost overnight through paid ads so he had been at his day job he was only working part-time at clickmind about 10 hours a week and so all of his other hours was at this other company 
building them up to a seven-figure business through paid ads. He was doing this every day on someone else's dime. And so he came to us and said like, hey guys, like, I know I only have 10 hours a week here, but like, you're doing this wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You need to change the pricing, figure out an ad campaign, push this to cold traffic. I've been doing this at this other company for two years. If you ever change your mind, like, let me know, right? And we just went out of our way to say no for 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 probably a year or two. <laughs> and when we finally gave in, surprise, surprise, it exploded. <laughs> and it did really, really well. So I guess it's a long answer. But in summary, I think the thing was like, first, we had very obvious product market fit that we were kind of ignoring because we we had it in two places. And yeah. it was hard to disseminate like a better fit from one over the other because of sunk cost fallacy. Like we had invested more time, energy, and effort into these massive high quality HD courses. And we thought there's no way people just want Google Docs instead. There's no way, right? That was the first mistake. The next mistake was not listening to someone who had done this before. And he just had very clearly had experience doing this and his record proved that. We could have gotten to a binary yes, no decision way faster if we had just given him room to experiment. If we had gone, if I could go back in time and said, here's 500 bucks, the first chance he said, you guys should do this. If we had said, here's, here's a thousand dollars, here's $500. Like, like, can you get this done by this weekend? Let me know. That would have, it would have solved everything. But I think those two big things is what the, the lack of recognizing product market fit and not listening to someone who had done it already before was really what what caused a lot of the problem. Yeah. And one quote from the blog post that you had cracked me up talking about you you found Andre to be like someone entering, doing data entry, but you didn't realize you were striking gold. And he said, my co-founder Eduardo hired him to do a menial data entry task, which was like bringing a rocket launcher to a gender reveal party, comically unnecessary. And so <laughs> so you unleash him, you decide, let's test this. When was the writing on the wall where you're like, oh, this is our new business? Like, how long did it take? Was it instantaneous? Was it after spending a grand? Or was it after three to six months? It was instantaneous. It was, I mean, within one week. Oh uh, to, 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 to give you the context, yeah, we... He, he started with a $50 a day campaign and the very first full month of paid advertising, it was, he had brought us up to $250,000 in revenue. That was the moment in time where it was like, okay, we're going to do your thing now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's really what it came down to. There's, there's some other backstory there as well. The first version of the product, when it was just a bonus, a sweetener, Andre created that. So he was just heavily invested in this product. He knew who it was for. He designed the first version of it. He understood it frontwards and backwards. ClickMinded was the sort of platform that let him do that. And so he sort of created it and built it up over many years. And so he wasn't cold off the street, knew exactly what to do. He he had been there from day one. And I think in hindsight, if you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this now and you have a team. If there's someone on your team who has been in the very early days of a product and they've seen that evolve, trust them. Just trust them a little bit more than feels comfortable and kind of get out of the way a little bit because there's a good chance they understand it better than you. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And just to summarize, this guy is working 10. By the way, he has an awesome beard. It's worth calling out. So this, what do you call him? Like a bearded knight or something? Um, <laughs> he He's working 10 hours a week and he's helping you all of a sudden make 200, a quarter million in sales part-time as a side thing. And so the one thing that I kind of struggle with, because I agree with your advice, because I really struggle with this is like, do you hire the, hire the been there, done that, like the Andre, or do you hire the up and comer? And obviously, like there's cases for both. Like in my case, Jonathan, he's been working at a premium CRO agency. He knew how to do it. I hired him. All of a sudden, we're like at, at, at the seven figure mark. But then you've had other instances where you you get that up and comer and you kind of catch that lightning in a bottle at the right time and they're the right fit. I, I really struggle with that because with key roles, I'm trying to figure out like which path do you go down? So anyway, no question there. But like, as you're saying that, I'm like thinking through it myself. It's like, with which roles do you get the been there, done that versus which roles do you get the up and comer? Yeah, I mean, the Andrew Wilkinson recommendation would be to never go for the up and comer, to never hire for the raw talent. And to that the most, it doesn't mean that raw talent will never work. It's just that if you're going from pure probabilities perspective, right, it's like someone who had done that role before, it's it's a little bit more likely. But you know what's interesting is that like Andre now has been, it's coming up on two years that he'll have been the CEO of the business. But the stuff that's actually been, of course, finding that next leg of growth was like a massive part of it. But the stuff that he's been sneaky, crazy good at has been all the other things around that. Like when we have our weekly and, and quarterly meetings, it's very pro now. Everything's super buttoned up. Like we have like, he really treats, you know, it's essentially a lifestyle business and he really treats it with like a level of rigor that's like an investor shareholder meeting. And it's really serious. And he's very diligent and he's very thoughtful and everyone loves working for him. So like, it, funny enough, like, yeah, he found this massive lever of growth for us in paid advertising, but he's been like incredible for like HR and team morale and stuff wow. like that. And so, so, so part of the, the thing is like, you can't, it's just really hard to know exactly what the impact of, of someone is going to be. And this is one of the other sneaky side benefits of getting out of the way as the CEO is you, it, if you stay in that role of the kind of founder CEO, even if you give other people a shot and you roll the dice on them and you bring them in, you're still kind of building the business around you. Yeah. You know, and you can't ever get away from that until you actually walk away until you actually take a diminished role and so like the needs of the company with Andre running it are very different from the needs of the company with Eduardo, my co-founder running it, which is very different from the needs of the company if I was running it. And so the 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 puzzle or like the Jenga pieces move around a lot when you when you bring that person on and it's just worth 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 keeping in mind I think is it's it's very hard to 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 tell what the outcome is going to be unless you just pull the trigger and do it. Yeah. So why why is Andre the CEO? How did that come to be? Because clearly he found the lever. You see he has these other skills. Was that your goal? Was that his goal? Was it everybody? It was the right thing? And the reason why I ask is a lot of people want to build these companies that can run without them. You, you've landed that plane pretty well in the sense that you now have a CEO. So I'd, I'd love to hear how that happened or evolved. 
Yeah. I mean, it was just exactly that story I told you. We said, hey, like we were running all these experiments. Like, should we do B2B sales? Should we create a SaaS? Should we become a marketplace? Should we invest in automation? Should we do, should we create a community? I mean, like a million different things. This was the one that was an overnight success. And we basically said, okay, we're a Google Docs company now. <laughs> like we are a white label documentation company powering the backend operations of consultancies and agencies. This is very different from courses. Andre created this product from the day one. He's incredibly gifted at paid ads. He'd be a way better fit than us. Let's make him the CEO. And I think this is another one of these things that a lot of people forget. It's it, it's not all just I can't speak for Andre necessarily, but like it's not all just stock and equity and money. When Eduardo, my co-founder, originally came on board, some of the things that were really important to him were like he wanted to be with his girlfriend and and like his current company wouldn't let him work remote. He he didn't want to be told what to do. He didn't want a manager. He wanted like to, to be able to count his own schedule. And that was like a huge factor in his decision matrix. If you were to ask Andre privately, I think a, a part of him deep down wanted to run a company, wanted to give to be given a shot, didn't want to be nomading around and and pulling together upwork jobs for a while wanted to have you know to dictate the schedule and the product and the pricing and what we do and 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 take responsibility for that and so i think a big factor that was kind of non-monetary at all it was kind of like life goal personal satisfaction dopamine oxytocin kind of stuff and especially if someone hasn't done that before, it's a huge, it can be a huge factor in them deciding to join you. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're, you're thinking about giving someone like a leadership role or, or a CEO role, consider all the non-monetary things that are, that are huge pluses in their, in their pluses and minus column, because they're, they, they might be more valuable than you think. It's so true. Knowing what they care about, their why, their mission, and it's like design the role for them. I, I totally agree. give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, 
website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.